The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Or no, no question important, it would be anything that Jesus commanded us to do. Today is kind of a tough, uh, kind of a tough uh, uh, message, I think. Not, it's not tough to hear, it's not tough uh, necessarily to preach about, but it's probably tougher on each of us uh, to go out and do. And uh, any time we would have a, uh, a chance to hear someone's last words, it seems like there's something special in last words. And I listed a few this morning of famous last words. If you know who said these, you can just blurt it out. But one, and, and some of you, uh, some of us, uh, older people, uh, will probably know some, and some of you younger people may have no idea who these folks are, but... The first one I wrote is this, I'm bored with it all. Winston Churchill made that statement. That was his last words. Uh, Bob Marley, who knows who Bob Marley is? He was a musician, you old folks, some of you. Huh? Who's doing this? Who's running this show? <laughs> he said this, money can't buy life. That's, that's pretty good last words, isn't it? Uh, okay, this is for John. Here's a philosopher that said, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. <laughs> Karl Marx said that. <laughs> Has it on the tip of your tongue. Leonardo... D. Vinci. Yeah, I thought somebody would say, yeah. <laughs> he was an inventor. He was a painter. I-, I like what he said. This is his last words. I have offended God and mankind because my work never reached the quality it should have. He painted the Mona Lisa, you know, if, if you wonder some of the things that he would be. So here's one. I finally get to see Marilyn. That wasn't Ron. (laughs) Jolting Joe DiMaggio. Who knows who Joe DiMaggio was? Fewer, baseball player. Who knew who Marilyn he's talking about? Marilyn Monroe. His last war, I finally get to see Marilyn. Now, this is pretty interesting to me. Pardon me, I didn't do that on purpose. Anybody have any idea? Marie Antoinette. She was uh, Queen of France. She she was being beheaded for treason. And as she was being uh, led up the the scaffold to the guillotine, she stepped on her leader's foot. (laughs) And her last words were, pardon me, I didn't do that on purpose. I thought that was kind of interesting. Thomas Edison, inventor, businessman, he said this, it's very beautiful out there. He had been in a coma for several weeks. Right before his death, he came out of the coma, he opened his eyes, and he made this quote to his wife that was standing there. It's very beautiful out there. Uh, Ludwig van Beethoven, that's good. Uh, Of course, he was deaf at the end of his life. He said this, I'll hear in heaven. That was his last words. So I'll give you the quote now. Maybe these are more. I'll give you the person. You give me the quote. 
Todd Beamer. Who said that? Good. Let's roll. Y'all remember that? Yeah, September 11th, 2001. That was really popular then, but that was his final words. Now here's the last one, and this is reportedly what was the last word spoken. I'm going to the bathroom to read a little. Elvis Presley. <laughs> hey, that's where he died, y'all know. Uh, so uh, that was his last word. Famous last words. Those are kind of good words. And uh, the Great Commission uh, we find in Matthew chapter 28. And uh, Jesus is commanding his disciples, his followers, uh, his church. And he, he commands them to, to go and teach and to teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And uh, we've been kind of talking about the, what Christ has commanded us to do, and we have about three or four more weeks we're going to do this. I found this, uh, this sermon outline by John Hamby, and, and uh, he came up with a sermon by Bill Gothard. Uh, this sermon by Bill Gothard is called The Commandments of Christ, and this is kind of the outline for this. And, and in this uh, word by Bill Gothard, he says this, and teach them to observe all things which I have commanded you. So let's turn over to the Great Commission. If you're not there in Matthew chapter 28, and I've preached on this before, and I would uh, encourage you to underline those things, but Matthew chapter 28, and we'll start down in verse uh, 19 or 18. Uh, no, let's start in 19. And Jesus says, And go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. The, the central core and the purpose of the church is outlined in these verses. And I, I say this often, but remember, we are the church. So when we say the church, I hope that we'll come to the point of our life of not thinking about East Delta, but you'll think of yourself, because uh, if you're a born-again Christian, it doesn't matter if you're a member of East Delta or not. If you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you are the church. So the church and the, 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 the core principle, the center of the church, we find in this verse, these verses. And the first, it, it, it dispels the erroneous thought that the, the command is that we must go. Uh, certainly going, that's an essential part of, of spreading the gospel, the Great Commission, but uh, if we don't go, then we can't tell. But when we read this thing, it, it's talking about going. The fact is that uh, it's not a command that, that comes with the Great Commission. And, and going is assumed. And I'm going to get to how I came up with that. But when we go and, and think about this, we're going to go today, aren't we? I mean, nobody's going to stay. We're going to, we're going to disperse here in about 30 minutes, and we're all going to go. So going's assumed. And, and this verse, if you write in your Bible, if you, want to, if you want to circle that word go and put a little note down there, that actually translates this, even as you go. Even as you go, we're to evangelize, we're to incorporate, and we're to, we're to disciple and, and that incorporate, we talked about fellowship. You may have in your margin written evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship. I preached on this before, and those are three points that I used. But, but even as you go, so, so the first Jesus says, go, therefore making disciples. The, the King James Version says this, teach all nations. 
Uh, the word teach is used twice in this, and, and I, I'm just kind of trying to lay this out so we'll have a better understanding of what the Great Commission really is because it's written to us, a commandment from Jesus to the church. I think it's important for us to understand what he, what he, what he sent us, but this word teach translates, I won't even try to say this word. Uh, I looked it up on the computer. I listened to uh, some Middle Eastern person say it about 20 times. Never could get it. M-A-T-H-E-T-H-E-U-S-A-T-E. That's the word. And uh, it literally means to make disciples. Now, I read out of the NIV, and it translates that teach all nations uh, that we find in King James Version to what that word actually means, go and make disciples. So Jesus, I had this picture in my mind of there he is, he's with the uh, disciples, and he says, even as you go from this place, even as we go today, make disciples. That's the commission for the church. That's the first part of this, that, that we go, that we make disciples. The second thing that we find here is he says we baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that command to baptize, we, it's, it's, it's not only reaching the lost with a gospel message. That's not only what we're talking about. It's the need to incorporate new believers in the church. Now, I've had people tell me, and you've probably had people say, oh, I can worship on the golf course. I've said that before. I had a guy in our community say that many times. And, you know, we don't have to be a member of the church to be saved. You certainly do not have to be a member to be saved. But you know what? The Bible says this, we're not to forsake the assembly of the brethren. And also, we need to remember, uh, I saw this illustration. I may have used it before. We were at a summer camp one time, and the guy leading the Bible study took a branch out of the fire and he stood and he started talking and it was all red and burning on the end. And the more he talked and the more he was talking about uh, being a part of something and being a part of the body of Christ, the fire slowly died and slowly died and slowly died. And finally, it was just an ash. And, and really in our spiritual walk sometimes, if we're not a part of the body of Christ and we're out there all by ourselves, we're finally going to burn out. Our, our fire that we receive when we come and get re-energized at church and we get prepared to meet the world and, and prepared for Satan's attack, then, then hopefully when we leave here on Sundays because we sing, we worship, we pray, we hear God's Word, then we leave here and we're on fire. And, and by next Sunday, we may, our, our, we may have kind of started to burn out a little bit. And we need to come back. And we need to be re-energized. And Christ said it's important that we incorporate new believers. So as we go, as we make disciples, we're to baptize them, we're to incorporate them into the church. And then the final part is to make disciples, our, our discipleship. And he says there, teaching them. That's that second time we see that word, teaching them, to observe all things which I have commanded you. And those, that word teaching there simply means instruct or, or observing or keep the commandments of Christ. But I want you to think about this. What is it that we teach new believers in Christ? Now, I don't want you to answer that, but I want you to, I want you to think about that because Christ says we're to go and we're to, we're to make disciples, we're to, we're to spread the gospel even as we go, we're to bring them and bring them into the body of the church, incorporate them there, and then we're to teach. We're, we're to make disciples of them. So, so what is Christ telling us to do? And here's the thing, this is what turns people off of church, I think, sometimes. Because I think sometimes well-meaning Christians think that we're supposed to give a new Christian a list of do's and don'ts. 
Well, the Bible says don't do this and don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that and do this and do this and do that. So we come up with this ideal of, of we're to teach them the list of do's and don'ts. You know what that sounds a lot like? Legalism, doesn't it? That sounds a lot like what the, the Pharisees did. They came up with this list of rules and this list of do's and this list of don'ts. And, and they said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to be right with Christ because we're going to follow these do's and don'ts. So when we think about that, what, what are we to go and what are we to teach? Other believes that, that we should teach some kind of social responsibilities. And in other words, one little girl said it this way, Jesus wants us to be nice. Well, that's probably pretty good words to live by, but, but is that what the Bible says? Does the Bible teach that? Is that something we're to, to teach? Some, some, some Christian group says we should, we should focus on social problems and, and social uh, programs and different things. I actually heard about a church that put together a plan to, to save the rainforest and, and how they could save those and presented it in a worship service. And, and is, is that what Christ is talking about? Those, those things may be of value, but are they supposed to be a part of worship? I heard of another woman who, who said, you know what, I, I've, I've just decided to give my tithe to Save the Wildlife Foundation. I, I think that's a very important project. I think that's a noble project. Well, it may be, but it, is that what we're going to say? I, I want to come and, and I'm going to support these other groups. Is that, is, that what we're to, is that what we're to teach? So when we think about that, what are we to teach? And, and if there's a sense of discipleship, is, is being conscious of all those things that are commanded by Christ. So this morning, I hope as we look at this, you would say, okay, this is what we're to teach, and this is what I'm to hear. I hated school, amen? Am I the only one? None of you teachers can say, because you got students here, you know, so... Uh, I understand that, but you know what? I didn't like lessons. I didn't like homework. I liked the girls, and that's about it, you know, beyond that. But that's, uh, it is a nightmare. There you go. And uh, so when we start talking about teaching, I think sometimes we go, oh, great. You know, we're going, this is another lesson, you know. But, but I want us to really think about just exactly what did Jesus command us to teach. Again, Bill Gothard in his study, he identified 49 general commandments. Y'all ready for them? <laughs> Boy, that'd get you out of here in a hurry, wouldn't it? 49 of them. But uh, I just want to concentrate on one, and, and we find it in Matthew 4, verse 17. And early in Jesus' ministry, he, uh, he hears the imprisonment of John the Baptist, and, and he says this, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what I want you to remember is this is Christ's commandment to the church. And I, I don't want you to lose sight of the fact that we're talking about what are we to teach, what are we to do as a church. And Jesus' word, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and just as a reminder, repentance is not a one-time thing. It's not a, a one-act play, you might say. It's a continual attitude of, of humbleness, a, a contrite heart towards God and towards others. So in the beginning, 
by changing our mind about what is right and what's wrong, that certainly is repentance, but there's two aspects of repentance in, in our lives. The first aspect is this, the repentance that leads to salvation. So a person that's never accepted Christ as a personal Savior, and they're in a worship service, or they're at some special program, and the gospel is presented, and, and all of a sudden they feel the Holy Spirit drawing them to their self, and they repent. That's a part of repenting. They say, you know what, I, I realized today that I was lost and I needed a Savior. And, and they come to Christ and they say, I, I need you to in my heart. I want your forgiveness. I want you to live within me. And, and that's repentance. But the second part of that is it's an, it's an ongoing thing in our lives. Repentance is something that, that we repeat over and over. And, and it's characterized by a daily confession, not to a priest or a preacher, but it, it, it's to God. It, listen to what it says in 1 John 1, 8 through 10. Now, this is a great passage to underline. Again, if you, if you write in your Bibles or, or highlight on your phone, however you do that, I want you to listen to the first part of this because I always, I always quote the second part of 1 John chapter 1, 8 through 10. This is what, through the direction of the Holy Spirit, John says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, we usually drop that off. I usually start there in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But put verse 8 with it. This ongoing ideal of repentance. If we say we have no sin, then we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in in us. Therefore, if we confess our sins, Jesus Christ, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now let me give you an example of someone. What, what David demonstrated at true repentance is over in Psalms chapter 51. Listen to David's. This is true repentance. David said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And then in verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. That, that's a good example of what repentance is. And, and uh, we find that in David. That, that's coming before God, and that's repenting ongoing and ongoing. Let me give you a comparison. The other side is we, we think about David and Esau. Think about Esau. Over in action, uh, Esau in, in, in Genesis 25, 34, we see that he had some actions, and, and uh, it says that he despised his birthright. Now, we don't have time to, to spend a lot of time with that, but, but we find Esau was the next in line to receive the Father's blessings, okay? That was a big deal, okay, during this time. That was a big deal because... The father blessed the first son, and that, that passed on all of his blessings to that son. But it says, Esau despised his birthright, and he demonstrated that. The writer of Hebrews 12, 16 and 17 says this, For one morsel of food, he, Esau, sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards he wanted to inherit the blessings, but he was rejected. Listen, for he found no place... For repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Likewise, David's sin. 
David, you remember, he's, uh, all the kings have gone off to war. He's walking around on the roof of his castle. He sees Bathsheba down taking a bath, and, and he has this physical desire for her, and he sins for her, and uh, she comes to him, and, and they have an adulterous relationship. And, and listen to what it says about him in 2 Samuel. It says that he despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his side. This is word spoken to him. You have killed Uriah the Hittite, that was Bathsheba's husband, with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife. And look at verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now there's a lot of similarities between Esau and David. Both, both had a physical desire and they fulfilled it in the wrong way. Both of these guys despise the commandments of God by their actions. That's what Scripture says. Both of them exchanged spiritual treasures for earthly pleasures. Both of them wept over their sins, but only one of them repented. And that was David. Whereas Esau, he wept bitterly over the regret. He regretted that he had lost his blessings. But David, he wept tears of repentance. He, he went before God and he truly repented. And, and there's a difference there. There's a difference of simply having regret over sins and repentance over true sin. That's what we're to teach and that's what we're to learn. So this morning I have four things and, and we're going to move rather quickly through them that, that we're going to talk about the attributes of true repentance. So we think about repentance. What is true repentance? And the first is this. True repentance recognizes how sin relates to God. I've said this before. I think sometimes we, we sin and we kind of think as God is this uh, grandfather uh, figure, and we kind of sin, we kind of wink it off. <laughs> ah, you know, eh, just a little, we just kind of blow, it's just a little sin. You know, I just, just kind of wink it off. And, and true confession, it, it begins to the, with a recognition, how, recognizing how sin, what God thinks about sin, how that relates to Him. And, and think about this. I want us to go back to David in Psalm 51, verses 3 through 4. Not just recognizing that we sin, not just recognizing that, that we made a mistake, that's the first step, but, but understanding this, when we sin, think about this, who do we sin against? When we sin, we sin against God. Look, look what David said, "...for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me." And verse 4 says this, "...and against you, God, and you only have I sinned." and have done evil in your sight. You know, David's not saying that his sin was not, hadn't involved anyone else. He, he's not saying his sin didn't hurt anyone else. It certainly did. I mean, it cost a man his life. He, he's not saying that these, these sins didn't, didn't involve other people, but he's saying, God, against you I sinned. Against you in particular I sin. And folks, we need to realize when we sin, and we recognize that our sin first and foremost is against God. That's where our sin begins. So for us to really understand true repentance, I think we need to first understand that our sin is against God. And from God's viewpoint, our sins are not excusable. But when we come to Him and we realize that, hey, I've sinned, as David realized, and we confess those sins and not only confess them, we become aware of them and then we confess them and we desire to take care of the problem, and we'd repent, we change direction, and that's the second point. True repentance reflects a, a change of direction. Think about a husband and a wife, and they're making a car trip, and she's navigating. 
That's the disaster in making it right there. And, and uh, see, the men says yes, and the lady says no, but, but uh, you know, the, the, the wife says, make a right turn at this next intersection as it goes by, you know. But anyway, make, make a right turn at the next intersection. And, and say the, the husband realizes, I, I missed the turn, and she's saying, well, I told you to turn right back there. And he, and he admits it. Hey, I, I'm going the wrong way. And I'm not getting any closer to where we're going to be. And I, I'm, not, I'm not where I need to be. And I recognize all that. But he keeps going the wrong way. Do y'all ever do that with your little Betty woman that talks to you on the thing? Turn right. Make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. Turn left. Do y'all talk back to her? Be honest. I do. I'll say, I'm not turning. I'm going straight down here. To the... Well, that's not a change of direction, is it? And, and, and true repentance is this. For us to get where we need to be when God reveals to us that sin in our life and when we realize we've sinned against God, true repentance says, you know what? I better take a, I better take a turn and I better take another turn and, and I need to go another direction. That's what true repentance is. That's what we're to teach. That's what we're to learn. The third thing is true repentance. It rouses a sense of grief in our hearts about sin. It, it arouses a sense of grief in our hearts when we realize the consequences of, of trying to run our own lives. We should be grieved over those things. And, and that's what we teach others and that's what we learn for ourselves. It's more than regret because regret's not enough. You remember Judas? Judas over in, in Matthew chapter 27, it, it says he was seeing that he had been condemned. He was remorseful. The, the King James Version says uh, he, he repented, but remorse or regret is not repentance. Being remorseful, uh, uh, our American prison system, y'all, I've told y'all a bunch about a show Denise and I used to watch on there and, and uh, listen to all the prisoners, and, and you know what? They are full of regret. They're, they're just sorry that they're there, but, but they're not regretful for their, their, their sin, they're regretful for the consequences of their sin. They're not repenting of their sin. It, it was so interesting. I had a, a guy here at one time, and we were, we were watching it, and he had murdered someone. And he had finally came true, came, came clean with the fact that he was involved in it. And they interviewed him for an hour, and he never one time said, I murdered that person or I killed that person. He said everything you can imagine. He was, he was regretful. He was remorseful, but he was not repentant. He, he never said, you know what, I sinned or I, I did this to that person. He, he just danced around that. And, and, fo- and folks, true repentance, it, it rouses a sense of grief. We realize that we've sinned against God and we realize that we need to change direction and, and our hearts are grieved over our sins. Here's the last thing, the, the fourth thing, true repentance. Don't miss this. It ripens into lasting change. So here's the process. We, we realize that we've sinned and we realize our sins against God and only God. Then we, we change our direction. We say, okay, God, I'm going to change directions. I realize this is a sin. And, and we're grieved over that sin. And, and remember what it says over there in, in James? He's faithful just to forgive us and cleanse us from those unrighteousness. And, and so God has forgiven us. He's given us a fresh start. He's given us a newness. And then that ripens into lasting change. If there's no turning from what that sin we know is, if there's no repentance, no matter what we say, it's not enough to say, well, I'm sorry I sinned. 
I, I'm sorry I sinned. If we if we not changed our mind and, and changed our way from that sin, if we if we've not walked away from it, then we're going to return to it. And that's not general, that's not genuine repentance. That that genuine repentance, it leads to a life of change. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Corinthians 5:17. He says, Therefore, if we're in Christ, what? We're a new creation. All things passed away, and behold, all things become new. John the Baptist, when he dealt with those who had come to repentance, he said to them, bear fruits worthy of repentance. That, that can better be understood by, by fruit uh, in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit that, that keeps with repentance. In other words, when we repent, and it, 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 it leads to change. If we say, well, uh, I just use smoking, for example. If, if you say, well, I, I realize smoking's bad for me, and I, I'm sorry I smoke, and I'm going uh, to quit smoking, and we go home today, and we throw our cigarettes away, and, and uh, tomorrow morning we get up and we say, ah, you know, I'll forgive him for that. I'll go ahead and smoke this week. Next week I'll, I'll ask again. I'm not saying smoke. We're not even, even talking about smoking. I'm just talking about an example of... Repentance that leads to change. If, if it doesn't change, it's just simply words. Y'all remember what Cooper said about the, 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 the preacher that said, you know, I've got to have a heart transplant. And, uh, and all the people of the church said, you know, we'll, we'll do whatever we can. You know, we'll, do, we'll, we'll give you our heart if we could. And, and the next Sunday, he, he said, well, it's a miracle upon miracles, but they found a way that you can donate a heart and... I know all you folks want to do that, so I've got a feather, and I'll just let it go, and whoever it lights on, you'll be the person. And all of them are going, <laughs> as it flows around, you know, that, that lasting change, that, that something that, that says, I'm going to change, and I'm going to go this direction. Y'all listen to this. Edwin Orr, a professor of, of church history, he, he described the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Y'all may have heard of the Welsh revivals back in the 19th century. This is what he says. Listen to this. This is lasting change. He says, as a result, people did all they could. They confessed their wrongdoings. They were making restitutions to others. See, they had repented. That, that led to change. They realized they had sinned against God. They were grieved in their heart over that. And that true repentance, they began to change their lives, their ways. They began to change what they were doing. But it unexpectedly, unexpectedly created some serious problems for the shipyards that were along the coast of Wales. Over the years, workers had stolen all kinds of things, all kinds of tools, wheelbarrows, hammers. However, after the revival started and people repented that led to change, they began to bring things back so that they might be right with God. They started returning all they had taken. As a result, soon the shipyards of Wales were overwhelmed with returned property. There were such huge piles of return tools that several of the yards put up signs that read, If you've been led by God to return what you've stolen, please know management forgives you and please keep what you've taken. <laughs> now, you know what? That is lasting change, isn't it? That's what true repentance is. 
That's saying, you know what, I'm going to change directions. I, I'm grieved on my sin, and, and I'm not simply going to hear and realize I'm going the wrong way, but, but I'm going to make a change, and I'm going to change direction. Now, folks, the good part is this. We don't have to do that in our own power. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. When Christ commands us to teach them to observe all the things which He has commanded, one of the first things that He teaches us is this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's bow together. Father, this morning as we look into your word, and Father, as tough as this is for us to think about uh, first ourselves as we have sin in our lives, Lord, I pray that we would just recognize what, what sin is to you, Father. And Lord, that when we sin, we sin against you and you alone. It may affect others, but Lord, we know we sin against you and you alone. And, and Lord, I pray that in our lives, we might follow that process of, of, of changing directions and grieving of our sin. And, and Father, that would, just, that would be leading to lasting change. But Father, I pray also that as we think about presenting that gospel to others, Lord, that through your grace, through your words, full of grace and seasoned with salt, we would know how to answer everyone, that we'd be able to give the hope that we have in you. And Father, that we'd be able to to share that gospel message, that message of repentance. And then Father, as we grow, we'd know that's an ongoing process for us as your children. Lord, I pray that this church would just be about your commission. As we think about your commandments to us as a church, I pray, Lord, that we would learn to bloom where you've planted us. We would learn to be your light and your salt in the folks that we come in contact with, that others might see your good works demonstrated in us. And, Father, through that, they'd want a piece of what we have, Lord. Thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that it's free for all. And I pray, Lord, that others might see Christ in us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.